When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. The captivating new Kurt Angle documentary, Angle, is now streaming on Peacock. I spoke to Kurt about his incredible journey from winning the Olympic gold medal to becoming an all-time great WWE superstar before overcoming multiple broken necks and a painkiller addiction to come out clean on the other side. Hey, Kurt Angle. Hey, thank you so much for joining us on WTOP in Washington, D.C. Thanks for having me on, my friend. We are here because we're talking about there's a brand new documentary uh, called Angle, all about your life and career on streaming on on Peacock. And I just watched it last night. And one of the greatest uh, movie critic assignments ever to get to relive all the <laughs> all the great stuff. Uh, but yeah, I loved it. And I got to say, there, there was like a point where there was like this inspirational, slow uh, piano music. And I was like, I know that. I know that. That's Kurt's theme. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah. So why was now the right time to do it? Are you sort of at a point in your life where, you know, you can you know look back on the good, the demons, everything. You're kind of at a cathartic point now. Yeah, yeah. It was time for me to tell my story. And uh, I thought the director did an incredible job. Um, you know, it, it was a great documentary put together very well. It's about a kid with a dream. And he had a few mishaps along the way, but he was able to make his dream come true. And he ends up uh, going into a business that he never thought he would do, and that's the WWE. And uh, I had even a, a, just as good of a career as I did my amateur wrestling career. Uh, but but there were a lot of uh, demons that I had to face during that time. And it's a really cool documentary. I'm very proud of it, and I think Alex Perry did a great job. Absolutely. I'm so glad Alex reached out to to set up this interview. Um, and yeah, like you said, um, I was that's one thing people will notice if there's WWE fans that sit down to watch it. You know, the, you don't get to the WWE until like, you know, maybe an hour or so in. But that I mean, for, for maybe other wrestlers, that might be too long. But for your story, it's perfect because you are, you know, the Olympic hero. You and your childhood, you have to set the stage. You're, that's at least half of your story, at least. So, yeah, tell, let's go through it a little bit chronologically. Like you, you, you dealt with some pretty you know, big blows, the death of your father at a young age in Pittsburgh, and then also the murder of your biggest mentor, Dave Schultz, at the Foxcatcher Ranch when you were training for the Olympics. But, like, how do you think, you know, those two tragedies, you know, help shape, you know, I'm going to do it for them kind of a mindset? Well, that's exactly what it did. It motivated me to become better. Um, my father was my biggest fan growing up. You know, he never missed any of my sporting events. He worked a lot. And he'd even let leave work early to show up to my events. Uh, that's how much of a fan he was of mine. And um, he coached me along the way. And uh, uh, there was a certain point in my career where he couldn't coach me anymore. And that's where my coaches picked up, you know, my Olympic coach and all that. But um, he was a really cool dad. Uh, he didn't really put a lot of pressure on me. 
Uh, he just wanted me to give my best. And he knew when I did give my best, and he knew when I didn't. The yeah. only time he would ride me is when I didn't give my best. He didn't care if I won or lost. He just wanted to make sure I gave everything I had. Yeah. And uh, my my coach, Dave Schultz, was the same way. <laughs> Dave was, uh, was incredible. He learned seven languages from different countries just so that he could uh, – learned the sport of wrestling worldwide from an international standpoint. Yeah. And uh, he became the best technician in the world. And uh, I learned a lot from Dave Schultz. Not only that, I learned how to be a father and a husband and all that stuff. He was just an incredible human being. Absolutely. And and you can tell that they, they would both be very proud of, of where you, where you've come throughout this and seeing this documentary, I'm sure they're smiling down watching this thing with you. Um, I loved it, what you sort of said. And, and this is the part that I was geeking out on. Oh, so like, you're sort of like your, your work ethic, you know, running those Hills, carrying the guys uh, through Pittsburgh. Um, I think I've heard somewhere, maybe it's your podcast or something. You said that you know, Rocky's your favorite movie and, and it's obvious. I mean, it's, it's sort of that, that idea that you, you know, you, get up earlier you outwork everybody you had your calendar your work ethic and just right. I, the idea that you were going to exhaust train like your key to winning the olympics and beating these world-class athletes is i'm gonna maybe not necessarily outskill them i'm just gonna tire them out <laughs> yeah get them tired man it's it's uh it's the easiest not the easiest but it's yeah. the most basic um strategy that you can have yeah. i wasn't the biggest or the fastest or the strongest or the most technical but what I knew I could do is wear my opponents down and get them tired. And it's crazy because people give up. When they get tired, they say, I'm tired. I can't go anymore. And, and, you know, from a mental standpoint, I knew every time I wrestled, I knew the breaking point of my opponent. Yeah. Once they got tired, I wore them down. I knew I had them. And, you know, it, it, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy to do. Exhaust training, that's when you train till you're exhausted. Yeah. That's when it actually begins. Yeah. So then you go from there. You go beyond your limitations. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And uh, I, I put myself through hell, but it worked out for me. Oh, absolutely. You, those guys are just gassed on the mat next to you. Yeah. Uh, it, it's amazing. <laughs> One more on the on the Olympic thing before we get to the WWE. I know that's a lot of our listeners are excited to talk about the the, the professional wrestling stuff, but we got to talk about the Olympics too. Uh, you at famously won with a broken freaking neck. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. I love the detail that the documentary goes into, you know, with the, the doctors, the x-rays and the vertebrae, you know, the discs and the vertebrae and all that stuff. But yeah, just do, do you, do you get a get goosebumps watching those Olympic footage again and B do, or, or does the pain, the numbness come back? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? No, I, you know, I, at, at first I, I didn't, I didn't want to watch myself um, because I knew the turmoil I put myself through, especially with my broken neck and stressing out every day about it, whether or not I was going to be able to wrestle. Um, it, it was, it, it really wore on me. So yeah. I didn't want to ever look back at that and say, you know, I have bad memories of it. So I never thought about it until I did the documentary and it really, it made me emotional. I mean, I, I, I started breaking down and crying during the documentary because all the hard work I put in and everything I had to do, uh, knowing that not only um, was I not the best wrestler in the world, but now I have a broken neck. Yeah. And uh, how do how do I how do I overcome this? You know, because I couldn't train the last six months before the Olympics. Right. I I had to let my neck rest and heal, and so the exhaust training wasn't really exhaust training anymore. Right. But I think I was I I was in enough shape 
that I was able to, uh, even though the last six weeks I couldn't train much, um, I think that my, my conditioning carried me through, that I did enough at that point that I was okay. But I, I never like to look back, and now I do. And now yeah. I have good memories because <laughs> um, knowing that I went through everything I did, um, I, I'm just really proud of it. Absolutely. And you can you can see in the movie how much it means to you in the footage, too. Like you're breaking down in tears. You're like, this is crying. This is the best day of my life. Thank you. You know, my, my mom and, and your dad up in heaven and Dave. Schultz. Like you're, you're, the tears are just flowing. It's great. But what but the movie also does a good job. And this is how we'll pivot into wrestling, professional wrestling. Um, it does a good job of showing there's a line where you're, you're getting interviewed and you say, you know, well, once you build your whole life trying to achieve this gold medal and then once you achieve it, you're throwing out first pitches at games. You're doing interviews in the talk circuit. But then you're like, well, wait a minute. What do I do now? And so it's almost <laughs> as a competitive, you know, son of a gun like you. It's like, well, what, what's next? So tell me about sort of that phase and how you actually turned Vince McMahon down at first, right? You're like, I don't want to want to do that. <laughs> all right, I'll tell you the whole story. You know, when I got done with the Olympics, listen, that's all I ever dreamed about since I was a yeah. kid. That's all I ever wanted to do. And I'm going to be honest with you. If I would have died that night, I, I would have been happy. And you know what? The next day you wake up, you're like, what do I do now? Like, <laughs> I'm literally clueless. Yeah. I mean, I had a college degree. Uh, you know, I, was, I had a teaching degree, but I didn't want to be a teacher. I, I knew that. And I'm thinking, what the heck can I do now to match what I just did? <laughs> did you do like, some news broadcast too? Some yeah, sports, yeah. Failed sports reporting? For a year. <laughs> it was horrible. I, I was so bad. You know, the thing is, it was a startup station and uh, they, they didn't have me rehearse. So I just walked in the first night. I'm, I'm the weekend sports anchor. Yeah. And and, you know, the first thing that happens is I run the studio with all of the scripts in my hand and I run to the producer and my scripts go all flying in the air and they go out of order. <laughs> so I get to the desk and the, and the producer says, just read the teleprompter. And I go to read the teleprompter and it goes blank. Are you kidding me? So I don't have my scripts. I don't have the teleprompter. So now I have to think about what I what I what I just you know wrote down for you know, on my script. Yeah. And I remember the first thing was Duquesne basketball, and I said, uh, Duquesne basketball had a game today, and uh, let's go to the highlights because I didn't know what else to say. Boom goes the so, dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> so the second segment, I didn't know what it was, and I said, Let now we're we're gonna we're gonna go with football. Yeah. And and baseball pops up. <laughs> so and that happened the whole segment. Oh, that's uh, every, great. Everything I did. Uh, you yeah. know, the next one I said, okay, football now, and it was hockey. Oh so snake. It, bit. it was the snake worst bit. experience. And you know what? It, it yeah. didn't get any better. Yeah. Right? yeah. So it, it was a nightmare. I knew it wasn't for me. Yeah. And then uh the thing is I got approached by WWE before I did that. And uh I remember Vince, he offered me a multi-million dollar contract. And I brought it back to uh, my agent and he said, you're not going to do this crap. You're the real deal. They're fake. Right. And he throws it in the trash. He's the one that got me the job with Fox oh, okay. uh, the sportscasting job. So I, I turned that down uh, the deal with Vince. And a couple years later in 1998, I started watching the WWE because I never watched before. I knew who wrestlers were like Hulk Hogan, Macho right. Man, because they were mainstream, but I didn't really know wrestling, pro wrestling. And I'm, I'm watching and I'm like, man, these guys are good athletes, you know, and, and these storylines are hilarious. This is Attitude so Era, thought, 98, 98. Yeah, yeah. That it's is a, Stone Cold versus Vince and The Rock. And yeah, yeah it's awesome. DX. 
best best era in wrestling dx stone cold all that yeah. so um i said uh um so i called the wlb in 1998 and i and I talked to Jim Ross and I said, Hey, is that contract still standing in 1996? He yeah. said, no, you're going to have to come up and try out. <laughs> and I, I figured nothing in my life's ever come easily. So I'll go yeah. up and try out. And I went up and tried out. And after the first day I picked on, picked up on everything so quickly, they offered me a contract. It wasn't a very good contract. It was a, it was actually $75,000 a year. Yeah. And don't forget when you're a wrestler, they only pay for your airfare. They don't pay for your hotel, your rental car, your food. So 75,000 doesn't go very far. Right. But I knew if I was good that I would make a lot more money. Right. And so I, I did it and I stuck with it. And uh, eventually I, you know, my first year, my rookie year, I won the world championship. I beat the rock for the world yeah. title. And a half a year after that, I beat Stone Cold Steve Austin for the world title. I yeah. beat the two biggest names in the business my first year and half in the business. Oh yeah. And I became a big star myself. And, uh, and then, you know what, uh, the following year, I broke my neck for the second time, and uh, I was introduced to painkillers. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, that that was a nightmare. Before we go off into into that, yeah. if, if the dark the darker side of the all is lost part of the documentary. Before I want to, if you don't mind, like, hit some of those oh, er, er, other oh, early, oh. early highlights. Um, where uh, man, you're talking about your meteoric rise there in the beginning. Like I don't, and you've heard other wrestlers say this to this day. Few people have picked the business up as the ring psychology and all that. Like like yeah. you. Um, what, what, what were you like the Euro continental champion? You had that undefeated streak, <laughs> even though that damn Taz came out and gave that illegal chokehold at the Royal Rumble. <laughs> Dude, I remember it all. I loved it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so you picking that up, but also like, tell me like sort of that idea of, you know, of, you know, your character being sort of the intentionally corny Olympic hero. Like, you know, back in the day, Hulk Hogan's era, eat, say your prayers, eat your vitamins, you would have been the big yeah. baby face. But instead, yes, I would have. tell me about Vince sort of telling you, you do not boo an Olympic hero, you know, turning this all shucks guy and, and why, why he didn't convince you, no, we're in an attitude era now. They're rooting for Stone Cold flipping off the boss. They're going to boo yeah. you. Like, tell me, take me yeah. into that, like him convincing you of that. Well, he, he shot me down. He said, listen, we're going to make a character. You're going to be the man of the three eyes, intensity, integrity, intelligence. Yeah. You're going to drink milk. You're not going to swear. You're going to go by the rules. But really, you're not going to go by the rules, but you're going to say you will. Yeah. And uh, so he was setting it up, and uh, he was telling me, you're going to be the biggest heel in the business. Yeah. And I said, Vince, there's no way. I'm an Olympic gold medalist. Everybody's going to love me. He said, not after I'm done with you. <laughs> you know, so I I end up doing this gullible, goofy character, a nerdy character. Yeah. And it worked extremely well. I mean, I couldn't believe how much the fans hated my guts. You and, suck. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was, it was just amazing that Vince was right. And he told me that he, he did this on purpose because he did this with The Rock when he started out. And uh, when Rock started out, he tried to make him a baby face, and the fans were booing him. Right, they were even, right. even chanting, die, Rocky, die. Yeah. And so Vince wanted to use the same imprint, but knowing that I will be a heel instead of a baby face, that it wouldn't backfire. It would actually work to Vince's advantage. So uh, it worked extremely well, and uh, Vince was right. The Attitude Era, you, you can't be the guy that drinks milk and takes your vitamins. <laughs> You have to be the guy that drinks beer and flips his boss off. I mean, yeah. it's it was ridiculous how the baby faces were the bad guys, yeah, and the good guys were the heels, yeah. So, but it worked. It worked for me, and you know what? I was the most hated guy in the business for my first three years. 
but it started to flip too because then Austin turns heel and then suddenly you're getting to spoof the, his beer bath with the milk yeah. truck bath. That's iconic. Or the Jimmy Crack Corn uh, with the little uh, <laughs> bat. Uh, cowboy hat strumming in there. Uh, got Olympic gold. Uh, yeah, so it, I think by being the dorky heel for a while, uh, it w- eventually the, it sort of to shift. You know, the pendulum swung and everyone fell in love with your dorkiness. You know what? What happens is the, the fans... They, they, you prove to them that you're very talented and that right. you're good at what you do, and the fans start start showing appreciation for you. Yeah. You know, and and I have fans to this day that say, "Man, I hated your guts when you started, <laughs> but I, I actually loved you a few years later." Yeah. And it's because you earn their respect. Yeah. You know, when when you come in, you're demanding to be a baby face when they don't know you. Yeah. They're like, "Who are you?" And what you know. <laughs> We're not going to cheer for you, yeah. you know, so you have to get their acceptance before yeah. they actually become, make you a baby face. Yeah. And you know what? I, it wasn't our idea to turn me baby face. The fans turned me. Exactly. Uh, not Vince, not me. The fans did. So that's when Vince said, hey, let's go with this. And, uh, let's uh, let's have you go up against Austin and yeah. we'll, have, we'll make some money. And he was absolutely right. Absolutely. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAP Podcast. I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. And that sort of leads to that ruthless aggression era. You have the mouthpiece in and you're like a total badass now. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to hit at least one of those, some of those highlights before the painkiller stuff. Cause there's so much like, you know, positive stuff I want to talk about still. So like the badass ring performers, I mean, you're doing these amazing five-star matches with, you know, Brock Lesnar at Mania with the failed shooting star press thing. Eddie Guerrero, the boot coming off and Undertaker submission trade off. Shawn Michaels, uh, you know, programs. I'm just the sexy Kurt. I'll make your ankle. <laughs> uh, and, and then, of course, he who shall not be named Chris Benoit. They, I, I can see why the WWE didn't put him in this documentary, although you will see him roll out during your moonsault off the cage. But uh, yeah. it's it, it's a little it's a shame. Some of your greatest matches were those SmackDown you know, blowouts with with that. You know, to say nothing yes, about happening at the end of it. They are my favorite matches. They're yeah. My best matches. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, uh, so that are you a little disappointed those don't make it in? But also, I mean, you understand why. But I mean, either way, I want to I want to be positive here. Like this, the documentary oh. shows some of your greatest opponents ever, man. Yeah, I, I think that you know Chris Benoit. I think that. I wouldn't have minded him being shown on the documentary um, because, you know, when you look at it from this perspective and you talk about my legacy, if you don't mention Chris Benoit, uh, my legacy is not nearly as good as it actually is. Like Chris and I had some incredible matches. Yeah. We had cage matches. We had incredible wrestling matches, submission trade-off matches. We had the best chemistry together. And, um, 
that that those matches made my legacy. But it's unfortunate that you know WWE doesn't want to, uh, you know, because of Chris's actions and everything that occurred with him and his family. Yeah. I understand why they they don't want that you know being shown. But oh, yeah. uh, you know, you're also taking away my legacy. Yeah. By doing that. And yeah. that's because I've had my best matches. It's one of those things where you're like, I get it, but it's just, yeah, it sucks to, on your career legacy. But but you get it. You also get it. So anyway, but is there one opponent that you, I have one in my mind. Is there one that you wish you could have faced that you never faced? Because I, I have mine. Easy, Bret Hart. Ah, of course. Of course. Well, there you go. Well, I think and, and your one, answer is better than mine. <laughs> I was going to say Ken Shamrock, ankle lock versus ankle lock. But, oh, Brett, Kenny would have, but Brett's Kenny perfect. Would have uh, actually, him and I would have had incredible chemistry. Yeah. Uh, we come yeah. from the same, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what, what would you call that? Uh, the same. Shoot yeah. uh, fighting. What would you call it? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Basically the same, you know, profession. And I think him and I would have had a stellar match. Yeah. But though somebody today that I would have loved to wrestle would be Kenny O'Man. Oh yeah. Where it wrestled, but oh yeah, he's AEW. Really talented. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. Everyone you mentioned is 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 just epic. Um, I mean, I could talk about all the the great moments you winning after nine eleven, the family jumping around the ring and all that stuff. Iron Man with Brock Lesnar, I mean, and that was the day after your sister passed too. Man, the documentary goes yeah, through, yeah. the documentary goes through so much. And actually, I guess that's an a segue into sort of the dark period of, of your career. Um, you mentioned it earlier in the interview, but let's 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 uh let's go into it really quick. And and it has a happy yeah. ending, folks. So so you know, don't get too sad. <laughs> but um, yeah, tell me about you know the I don't remember how many neck injuries in were and and the pain killer addiction and why that all you know had to leave wwe for tna just that whole dark period sure uh 2003 i broke my neck again uh i my first time was in the olympics before the olympics and i broke my neck uh so i i was introduced to painkillers and uh i'm not gonna lie to you i love the way they made me feel they gave me an energetic feel they didn't make me feel nauseous like they do a lot of people but uh for me it, it made me feel stronger and uh not only that but it masked the pain couldn't feel the pain in my neck and uh so i was introduced to those and the doctors don't tell you this but you build a tolerance to painkillers so one doesn't work after a while you know you're supposed to take one every four to six hours and after a while after a couple months one doesn't work anymore then you have to take two then you have to take four four leads to eight before i knew it i was literally taking 65 extra straight pocket in a day i mean it was enough to kill a horse and uh I, i was in bad shape yeah. And I was hiding it from the company. And, you know, it, it was it was really difficult for me because now it wasn't about the pain anymore. It was about going through withdrawal. So mm-hmm. when you're a drug addict, all you worried about is how you're going to get the drug. Right. And I, I, you know how I did that calendar with my training? Yeah. I had a calendar where I would have different doctors, mm-hmm. 12 different doctors, because, you know, I, I needed more than 120 pills a month. Oh, it's in so, the movie. It's in the documentary. They yeah, show, yeah. And so, that's a cool bookend with the training regimen and then the pill yeah, regimen. Yeah. I got to get this 1500s from my shipment in Mexico or whatever. Like you were exactly. as obsessed with getting the pills as you were with training. And My training was my first priority back then. Yeah. And now my first priority was getting the drug. Right. So um, I was um, going to 12 different doctors to fill 12 different scripts. I had to find 12 different pharmacies because you can't get scripts at the same pharmacy so and then i was buying them illegally 500 of them a month illegally from mexico 
So every day, all I was worried about is how I'm going to get this and, you know, what I have to do to make sure I have enough. Yeah. And uh, it just really wore on me. And uh, there were times where I was passing out during the day. and uh, It just got really ugly for me. And uh, the WWE wanted me to go to rehab. And, you know, I, me being an addict, I didn't want to go. Um, so I, I made the choice of leaving the WWE in 2006 and and i did get my painkiller problem under control what a doctor did is he wanted me to get off of all that stuff and get on morphine which mm. is a more powerful drug but he was going to give me two little pills a day mm. that would help me not go through withdrawal so i wasn't taking 65 anymore i was just taking two but the problem was i went to impact wrestling and everybody there drank so now mm. i'm drinking alcohol and i'm mixing it with the morphine oh chasing and, uh, it with beer ah oh. Oh, and, and you know what? It just got worse. I mean, my my um, my decision making became really sloppy. Like I was, I was literally driving from town to town to do my shows, and drinking a twelve pack of beer while I was driving. Ugh. And it got me. I bet I had horrible horrible decisions. Yeah. And uh, I literally got four DUIs in five years. Mm. My life spun out of control. I lost my reputation. Everything I worked for, I was at the lowest point in my life. And I remember, uh, you know. Uh, after that, I just, uh, you know, uh, I didn't, I didn't know what to do, and uh, I ended up, uh, you know, uh, going to rehab. Uh, what happened was, I got, got arrested with my fourth DUI, and my wife, I called her from jail. She said, "I can't do this anymore. You either go to rehab, or I'm taking the kids and I'm leaving." Yeah, I don't want to lose my wife and my kids, so I yeah. went to rehab. Yeah, but I still didn't think I was going to go off the pills. <laughs> I thought I'd go to rehab, you know, trick her and you know, into staying. But when I got into rehab, I realized, okay, I'm clean now. I went through a draw for a week, and it was the most painful thing I've ever done. And what that did is that uh, that warned me that I will never take another pill again because I didn't want to feel that kind of pain ever again. When you describe so, it in the movie, you you seem you genuinely seem a. It's a beautiful description. You're like my insides hurt. I'm whatever. But like, you seem literally scared crapless about ever having I am, a draw I'm again. terrified of those yeah. I don't ever want to have that feeling again good that's a good yeah. driving force yeah 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 and so what I was worried about in rehab though is what if I screw up mm. now now I'm like being nervous like I don't want to leave rehab I want to stay there because I'm safe right and uh and I think a lot of people get that way and now I'm like what if I screw up when I get out now I'm worried about that but I got out and I took it one day at a time and little by little it became easier and easier. And after a year, it became a lot easier. And after two years, even easier than that. Now I don't even think about it. When I get stressed out, I don't think, man, I could take a pill or drink. Uh, I just deal with it. And uh, so uh, going to rehab that one time really helped me. It saved my life. How many years uh, clean sober are you now? 12 and a half to be exact. Congrats, my friend. That's amazing. Yeah. And shout out real quick. Shout out to, you know, your wife and your kids and, you know, being a better husband, better father. Like, uh, let's end on a because opioid. That's where this documentary. That's where it transcends Olympic wrestling, where it transcends WWE wrestling into the opioid epidemic that a lot of even Jim Ross says this isn't just a wrestling problem. This is, a, right. you know, an overall problem. It's a people problem. Yeah. Yeah. So but just that's talk about, you know, just yeah, shout out the the family support system and and a and a line of hope for maybe other families that are going through this. So many are. Yeah, there are a lot of people going through it. What I can tell them is, uh, there you can go get help. 
you, you cannot do this on your own. I try to do it on my own. It didn't work. Uh, you have to seek help. You have to have professionals. You have to get your family involved. They have to be involved every step of the way because when you get out and you start sneaking around behind their back and you're doing stuff that you're not supposed to be doing, um, that, that, that's going to ruin your family. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you need them to be as involved as they can. I'll tell you this. I had knee surgery a year after um, my, I went to rehab. And I told my wife, I, I need painkillers. She said, you're not taking any of them. I said, what's wrong with taking one? Why can't I just take one? She's like, you're not touching anything. Slippery she slope. was right. Yep. Because it, it would have just, it would have put me back to where I was. Yeah. And my, my wife was smart enough to know that. God bless you. Oh, that's, it's, ama- it's amazing. Well, in, in the end, sort of bringing this thing full circle, um, it does, the doc does have a happy ending. You know, you, Hall of Fame speech, shouting out your wife in the crowd and, um, you, and you sort of say in there, it's sort of it's sort of like a capsule message where you say, you know, I don't want to be remembered for the mistakes I made. I want to be re- remember Kurt Angle for the accomplishments that you had. Yeah, yeah. Um, was that sort of, you know, the just to put a bow on this, you know, is that sort of the driving force of what you want people to take away from from watching this? Yeah, but I also, you know, I know that people are going to remember the mistakes I made, but but I just hope that they uh, learn from that. And uh, they don't fall into the same trap I fell into. And, you know, I think people are more aware of what painkillers can do to you today than they were yesterday. But it's still a big problem. And it's something that we all need to work together and try to figure this out. I don't know if you you don't want to make it illegal because there are people that really need it. You know, especially people on their deathbeds, people sure. going through a lot of pain with cancer and stuff like that. But I think there's a limitation of where where it should go. I, I don't think it, you know, once a doctor can prescribe you pills uh, because you, you fell on your knee and you have a little bruise, that's that, you know, that that that's probably not the right thing, not, not the right way to go. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you joined us a couple years ago with Angle Strong app. Is that is that still a thing? You still doing that? No, no. The doctor it went under unfortunately. It oh. really didn't pick up. I think it's because he wanted uh, he wanted people to buy the app. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, it wasn't for free. I think if we would have found sponsors and yeah. you know something like that, I think it would have worked out a little bit better. But yeah. you know, he wanted people to pay, you know, five dollars yeah. a month for the app. Yeah. Well, you're helping people with this documentary. You're helping them with the the podcast with Paul Bromwell, sharing your stories, just you know, the raising awareness and the chicken snacks too, right? The, the angle. Yeah, food. yeah. I got my chicken snacks, my healthy snacks. Go to fishingfit.com to order yours. <laughs> Trying to do the Mick Foley cheap plug for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But uh, yeah, but I mean, in the end, to final seconds, like yeah, I mean, I I truly believe you are arguably the goat to do it i mean i know i've heard you say you know you have to be in the company for a certain period cena roman's on a great run now you know there's rick flair stone cold the rock all your idols Shawn michaels undertaker so i know you put longevity you mentioned brett i know you value longevity in the goat conversation but if we're just judging of you know at your peak of who was the best in the ring you Austin says it in the movie. Rock and Austin do sit down for interviews. And Mark Henry and Flair. But you, they all will say, you, Kurt Angle, at your prime, was as good, if not better, than anyone. So I agree. Bravo. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you know what? Uh, all you're going to do is stroke my ego right now. So, And my wife will not appreciate that because I'll come home and I'll say, hey, he just said that I was the best ever. Some guy, Jason in D.C., said I'm the best. So. <laughs> 
But no, it's a, it's a really great uh, movie, and we want everyone to check it out. It's called Angle. It's on Peacock, streaming streaming now. And uh, thank you so much for taking time to join us in your car. I don't know where you are, but I appreciate it. <laughs> I just I just got done with the doctor appointment, so I had to call you because I didn't want to be late. Oh, it's it's great. I I really really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I mean, and it's just it's so good that with all the, some wrestler stories, Dark Side of the Ring. You know, there's 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 sad tales. The Rock says it. In there. ends, there's that, yeah. but this yeah. is a happy ending. Uh, I love it. Keep it going. Uh, we're just so happy that you're in a good place, and we're so happy for you. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for having me on too. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's true. It's damn true. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Take care of yourself. See ya. I really appreciate this. See ya. All right, man. God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Our theme music is Scott Buckley's Clarion. Remember to give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.